0: Let's turn to Romans 13 again. You might think it's ironic that in one of the first messages I preached here lately, I talked about uh, being careful of sermon series. (laughs) I, I hardly ever preach a sermon series. But sometimes God lays something on your heart that you can't cram into one message. And there is a necessity... For us understanding the Word of God, for us serving the Lord, not only from a pure heart, but from a right mind. The world is trying to condition, literally brainwash God out of all of us. So we need to understand not just what we feel in our hearts, but the reason for it in our heads. And so that's why we want to go back and finish. This will be part three of what I called Wrestling with Romans 13. Let's read. I might give a little summary of the other two messages and then get into this one. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version, because we've read it plenty from King James. I just want to read a current um, wording so we don't miss it. Romans 13, I'm going to read 1 through 14 today. We stopped at verse 8 the last couple of times, but I want to uh, get more of the context Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what's good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this you pay taxes, for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing pay to all what is owed to them, Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no man anything except to love each other. For the one who loves has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Desires. Let me ask you in context of this 14 verses and remembering what we read in uh, Romans chapter 12 in the previous message, do you think Paul's focus is on the government in this passage? His gaze is much wider than that. This passage isn't primarily about how you're supposed to interact with the government. This is primarily about what God requires from you. You read, read all of chapter 12, all of chapter 13 sometime at home when you have some quiet. And you'll see that. This is about recognizing God as supreme authority. Loving to the best of our ability with his help. in living in a way that's pleasing in his sight. The reason this section is in here in the beginning of Romans, I think, and I mentioned this in the last message. This should be a sort of life ethic. When possible... God's people are supposed to live orderly, with respect, with calmness, uh, in submission. We are supposed to live that way when it's possible. Sometimes it's not possible. If if you think I'm preaching something today that doesn't line up with this passage, go back and listen to the other two messages, if you haven't. Because we spent a lot of time, and I'm I'm not going to take the time on it today, we spent a lot of time digging into... The authority Paul is talking about, why he had any right to say it in the first place. I mean, he said, submit yourself to every authority. And then he also was a man who never went to the church authorities for 14 years. He did what God told him to do. Checked in with them later. Found out they were wrong and stood up to them. So we established in the prior messages, I think you would agree with this if you listened and and prayerfully considered it, that uh, authority, which is the right to tell someone to do something, or power, comes from God. God is the supreme authority, He's the supreme power. And to make it very simple and clear, anytime any other authority tells you to do something that contradicts the will of God, they are an illegitimate authority. And you're not required by God to submit to that decree, edict, or command. This is not popular in our, con- in our culture of religious tolerance. We're all drowning in too much tolerance. We need more people standing for truth. Jesus said the truth will set you free, not tolerance will set you free. And I'm not angry today. I'm not upset or mad. I feel passionate about the gospel. Because nobody ever found God from you simply being nice to them. The truth sets people free. Should we be mean, harsh, and nasty unnecessarily? Absolutely not. But we don't need to step back and cower and, and, and melt under the pressure of the world. The same man who wrote this said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We are called and commanded by the omnipotent Lord of creation to submit to Him. We're not also the flip side of that coin, I have to say it because people sometimes take things to an extreme that, that you never intended when you're preaching. God's not pleased with anarchy. I'll talk about that more in the message. He's not pleased with you being defiant just because you like being defiant. A defiant heart doesn't please the Lord. A heart that's hungry for Him and wants to submit to Him and willing to stand against false authority in order to please Him, that is pleasing to the Lord. And that's what we're talking about as we wrestle with Romans 13 and figure out what it actually means. And we established before, I think, again, you would agree if you listen to the messages, uh, that this passage is not teaching to unconditionally do whatever the government tells you, no matter what it is. That's not supported by the body of Scripture as a whole. It's not supported by the Gospel, by this book, by the lives of the first apostles, or the life of the man who wrote this passage, Paul. Even Paul, who wrote this, submit to the authorities, didn't always submit to the government. And he lived most of his adult life not submitting to the government. Because he was preaching. You know, he spent a lot of time in prison. Because he didn't submit to the government. So don't miss... the, The same people who twist... You know, there's a scripture that says there are people who would twist the word of God to their own destruction the same people who twist this passage and say, if you're a Christian, you you have to do whatever the government says, because Romans 13, they're the same ones who take Matthew 7 and say, don't judge. They don't read the rest of Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus started by saying, don't judge. He spent the whole rest of the chapter telling us how to judge. In what way it's appropriate to judge. So that's a little bit of, of summary. The verse that... I think where Paul's heart is focused is starting in verse 8. Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. If we can get to the place as God's people that all of our actions are genuinely motivated by Holy Spirit inspired love, He'll be able to do something with us. That's the focus. The government's not the focus. And then in the 11th verse, this is another focus of this whole passage. The hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. Brothers and sisters, there are too many sleepy Christians. I said in the first message that I tried to preach on this passage, a lot of people are either asleep or or on drugs. And I mean both literally and figuratively. Our culture is trying to drug us into a constant state of spiritual stupor. This gray area where we're never getting restful rest and we're never completely awake. We're just floating. Just always floating. Just always... That's from the enemy, not from God. God wants us to be... Upset about things he would be upset about. He wants us to be moved by brokenness. He wants us to love people when, when they need it. They always need it. He wants us to weep with those who weep, more. with those who mourn. We talked about all of that. Love works no ill to his neighbor, and we need to wake up. Cast off the works of darkness, put on the armor of light. This is all part of the focus of this Romans 13. So... God is the supreme authority. All authority comes from Him. If you want to fulfill Romans 13 or any passage of Scripture, keep your eyes on God. Amen. Sure. This is worth wrestling with, though. Because I'm... I think of how to say this. Southern bred and naturally very opinionated. And I have realized there's a lot of times I need to be tempered. By passages like this one. That might apply to some of you all too. Every time I have a flare of frustration or, or anger, it's not from God. Sometimes it's just me. Often it's just me. I found out in my own self, I think you'll see this in your own life if you think about it. If there's any pride at all, along with that indignation that we think is righteous indignation. If there's any pride in ourselves, it's not from God. When we have indignation that comes from Him, it comes with a spiritual brokenness. I'm mad at that because it is preventing the kingdom of God in this world. I'm mad at that. I want it to be destroyed, that evil, because it's harming the innocent children of God. That's different than just being mad just because I can't be... So keep all that in mind as we continue to look at this. Love is the fulfillment of the law. This is, this is the heart of this whole thing. Throughout history, there have always uh, been people who understood that true service to God could come only from the heart. And there have always been people who have twisted the law of God into rules or procedures or some sort of checklist you can follow. It is so much easier to read Romans 13, 1-7 and any other passage of Scripture with a checklist, legalistic heart and mind and say, there you go, check, 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 I'm I'm good. That's a lot easier than figuring out what God is pleased with. And what He wants is us to live in a manner pleasing to Him. We need to be people who serve the Lord purely from right hearts and this is what will have effect on the world and change the world. Let's look at a few examples of godly people who were aware of the mindset of Paul, who lived in the time of Paul, and who lived in a way that we should emulate. Acts chapter 5. And remember, part of the reason this message has been on my heart that I'm continuing to preach about is because there is false doctrine going around that Romans 13 means you have to do whatever the government says no matter what. And let's be clear about this um, season of time that we live in. Around the world, the government has told people how far they're allowed to go from their home, how they are allowed to breathe air, what they must put in their body in order to participate in life, whether they are allowed to assemble, how many people are allowed to be at your own house on a holiday, whether you are allowed to assemble for church or not, whether you are allowed to gather in public outside, and how many are allowed to be there. All around the world, different countries and states in differing degrees of severity have made decrees about what you're allowed to do. This is why we're wrestling with this. Because a lot of professing Christians think that is perfectly fine. And when they told us last year we weren't allowed to have church, many professing Christians said, well, love your neighbor. If you really care about your neighbor, you wouldn't go to church. It's too dangerous right now. Find me that in scripture anywhere other than Romans 13 being twisted out of context. When did God's people ever not assemble because it was dangerous? Yeah. Peter and Paul, in particular, Peter, they're healing everybody that just like Jesus gave them the power. They have so much power. Peter spoke up in the 8th verse to Ananias and Sapphira who had promised to give the proceeds from land to the local congregation. (laughs) It sold for more than they expected and they got greedy and they kept part of it and they were killed. The Holy Spirit killed them. This is the kind of power the first church has. Great fear came upon, 11th verse, Great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. By the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. So they're all assembling together like we were talking about, laying aside their own personality conflicts, their own ideas, their own desires, and doing what God is pleased with. 14th verse, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. So many people are surrendering, submitting, and being saved by God's grace that they just call it multitudes. We don't even know how many. And they brought forth the sick unto the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. These men of God have been given such power. Remember we talked about that in the first message, that when Jesus spoke the people listened to him and said, this man has authority, unlike the scribes. The scribes were the ones who were supposed to have authority, but Jesus had heaven-sent authority that was different than anything they had ever experienced, and he gave it to his church. And these men, through God, have so much power that the multitudes are coming and laying their sick friends in the street hoping that Peter might walk by and his shadow might fall on them and they might be healed. There also came a multitude out of the cities round about Jerusalem bringing sick folks and them which are vexed with unclean spirits and they were healing, all of them. And the high priest rose up, the religious ruling authority. And all they that were were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees and were filled with indignation. They laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. Let's not miss what happens. The religious leaders, who, people who twist Romans out of context, Romans 13, Paul's saying, just submit. Why didn't these men just submit? Why didn't they just submit to the authority? Yep, yeah, we should just do whatever they say. They're the boss. That's not how any of these men lived. It's not how we should live either. They're arrested. They're thrown in prison. The common prison. They're nothing special. They're not given special treatment. They're just thrown in jail. How does God feel? How does God feel about His children refusing to comply with illegitimate authority? Let's see. The angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth. He's the supreme authority. What he thinks matters more than what anybody else thinks. He sent his angel to free his faithful soldiers who had been arrested by the local authorities that shows you what God thinks about illegitimate authority. These false religious leaders had no right to shut up and imprison and arrest the preachers of the gospel, and God rescued them and brought them out supernaturally so that they might go forth and continue preaching. This is worth reading. Brought them forth and said, Go stand and speak in the temple to people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple. They've just been arrested. God got them out so they could go preach some more, not so they could go hide and be safe. When they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came, and they, they were with him, called the council together, <laughs> and all the senate of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they found them not in the prison. They returned and told, saying... The prison truly we found shut with all safety in the doors and the keepers standing before the doors, but when we had opened it, we found no man within. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they doubted of them whereinto this would grow. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. Do you understand what's going on here? The authorities, if they could have, would have killed them. But they know they better treat them gently or the multitudes who are being healed, rescued, and saved will attack them. The only reason they're being nice is for their own safety. And when they brought them, they set them before the council. This is the council of Jewish leaders, and I said this in one of the previous messages. Just because a lot of people agree, just because a lot of experts get together and have the same opinion doesn't mean they're right. These religious experts all got together, had the same opinion, agreed with each other, and they're trying to do away with the people of God. And they said, didn't we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. And intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. I want you to notice what Peter and the other apostles didn't do. They didn't take up arms, they didn't get their swords, they didn't fight their way out of prison. They prayerfully relied on the Lord. And when he gave them opportunity, they stood. And when they were confronted face to face with the authorities, they said, we ought to obey God. We must obey God rather than men. This should erase, do away with any sort of confusion about what Paul is talking about in Romans 13:1 through 7. God sent his angel to to free people from prison who'd been arrested by the authorities. He wasn't interested in them submitting to false authorities. They went and preached, and when they had opportunity, they said, it's more important that we obey God than you. There's a difference. We ought to obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. That should be our hearts, brothers and sisters, as we wrestle with Romans 13, as we interact with this world, as we... Try to wade through all the noise. There's a lot of religious noise. And there's a lot of religious leaders who are adding to the noise. We need to figure out what the still small voice of God says. And he made it clear here. These men knew. They were rescued and they kept on doing what God was pleased with, even though it didn't please the government. Deuteronomy 10.12 says, And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord by walking in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. This is a summary of the teaching of all of Scripture. All God wants from His children is obedience to Him. When that allows us to be obedient to the government, good. Do it. In small things, in things that aren't um, of any eternal significance, do it. I'll give you an example of this. There, government has been put in place or allowed to be put in place by God to keep a general sense of order. And so if the street is totally empty, it's 4 o'clock in the morning, I'm the only car on the road and there's a red light, I'll still stop there. It doesn't hurt anything. It's not preventing me from sharing the gospel. It's not... But if I have a sick family member in the car, I might slow down at the red light, make sure there's no cars, and keep going. I'm not going to sit there at 4 o'clock in the morning and the sensors aren't reading any cars while my family member's dying. Because I have to submit to a rule. Do you, you see, God has called us to live soberly, to use our minds that He's given us and follow Him with our hearts. So I'm not just going to go run every red light just because I can. My wife would tell you I might like to. But God's not pleased with that. But I'm also not going to allow the red light to become more important than God. Do you you understand? There are laws that aren't, it's not a big deal if you follow them. You should. We're not supposed to just be defiant all the time. But what ultimately pleases God is summarized in that Deuteronomy ten twelve. What does the Lord ask of you but to fear the Lord and walk in all His ways, to love Him and to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul? If that's our genuine, sincere focus, God, I want to know what you want and I want to do my best to do it, we won't have to worry about whether we're fulfilling Romans 13. And we won't have to worry about what the government thinks. If we're genuinely, from the heart, trying to serve our Lord, our King, our Creator. Maybe those aren't enough examples. Let's think of an even better one from the only perfect man who ever lived. Jesus is brought before Pilate in John 19.11. Pilate gives him an opportunity to try to get out of some of his pain. And Jesus takes an opportunity to speak truth, even though it does nothing for his case. He says to him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Jesus is hours away from death and he's still speaking truth. Jesus wasn't worried about blindly submitting to false authorities. He was worried about what pleased his father. Now, was he defiant? Was he belligerent? Did he punch the guy in the nose? No. But he still spoke truth. He didn't back down. And until it was come time for him to lay down his life, there were other times that they tried to kill him, the government. He didn't allow it to happen. Jesus resisted their power until it was time for him to surrender his life. He said, I lay my life down. No man takes it from me. Jesus was perfect. His example is the ultimate example we should follow, not some words of Paul that somebody twisted out of the context of what he meant. Let's look at another example, and this is maybe one of the most powerful examples. Stephen in the New Testament. Stephen refused to comply and resisted unto death. But we have to remember this. He wasn't fighting for his own earthly tabernacle. He wasn't worried about his body. The reason he was fighting was not so he could go home and watch Netflix. There was something more important to him. We're told to remind us who Stephen is. In the context of what we just read, the church of the Lord Jesus is full of power at this time. They're surrendered to him. They're being used by God. They're doing things that are turning the world upside down. The religious leaders are incensed. The government leaders are worried. Everybody... I mean, there's like... All the systems of the world are in chaos because of the power of God that they've never seen. They don't know what to do with it. And there's a man named Stephen that God has given such power and such wisdom that it says nobody can resist what he speaks because of his wisdom and power. He's speaking in such a way... And people debate whether he was a preacher or not. doesn't matter. He's being used by God to speak the truth. That's what we should all do. And he's speaking in such a pure, powerful way that nobody can stand against it. They can't even say anything against it. Acts 7.51, he he concludes his message and says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. He's not mincing words. I, I wish we had more preachers like this. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. And King James says they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. He died. Power. Now, let me ask you something. Do you think this had more power or do you think there would have been more power if he tried to fight his way out? Maybe he could knock down two or three of them and try to run away. Spare his life. This was infinitely more powerful. And that's what I want us to grasp as we have been wrestling with Romans 13. I don't want anybody to misunderstand me and say, God just wants you to just... I'm going to do it my own self, do it my own way, whatever I want. It's not about only your individual freedom. The purpose of your individual freedom is the advancement of the kingdom of God. That's why you're free. So that you can live a life that points people to Jesus. This is the best example in Scripture, other than the example of Jesus himself laying his life down, of how God wants us to live in light of corrupt authorities, stand, preach the gospel, have so much power with Him that people are terrified, have so much understanding of His truth that they can't come up with arguments against it. We're supposed to employ all of our minds and all of our hearts as we serve Him. God's not pleased when we're lazy and dumb, He's not pleased with that. And He's not pleased when we're arrogant in our own minds and have lost a tender heart. We need both. And so Stephen preached up until the very end. I'll tell you something I've never really thought about. Scripture talks about Jesus being seated on the right hand of God. Why was he standing? Why was he standing when Stephen saw him? I think he was standing to receive him. That's where he got his power. And right before he died, Jesus gave him a glimpse of where he was going. Into the arms of Jesus. Jesus wasn't just sitting back casually then. He was standing and saying, come on, child. Well done, good and faithful servant. What's better than that? I don't have the capacity in words or anything else to convey to you what I feel in my heart about that. But that's what God wants for us. I'll tell you, I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to have any kind of false self righteousness. I don't have that in me. Somebody's trying to kill me. I'm unless God overwhelms me. I'm going to be trying to kill them. Maybe cursing them while I'm at it. That's my human flesh. But God overwhelmed this man to such a degree that he did something so much more powerful than Stephen could have accomplished with any kind of defiance. Do you see how much more powerful standing for the truth is than some petty defiance? That's why I care about understanding Romans 13. That's why I care about teaching how we should live in this world. And to be very clear, that's why I care about mask mandates and vaccine mandates and travel mandates and... Restaurant mandates and church mandates. that's why I care about all of it. The gospel, the truth. What power. And then not only did he stand and keep preaching until the last, and, and before we get to that, let's look at the crowds. This is the world, y'all. The crowds are so mad at the truth, they cover up their ears and yell, it- <laughs> it's like when you don't want to hear something. <laughs> That's what's going on. They can't stand it. We can't hear another word. They're going to, if that doesn't work, they're going to kill him. That's what's going on in the world right now. They want to kill everything good. They want to kill your children's innocence. They want to kill your ability to live a free life. They want to kill your ability to do anything that pleases God. want to twist anything that seems good into something that actually isn't and convince you that that's how you actually please the Lord. That's what's going on. This is the battle we're facing. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in high places, the powers of this present darkness, which is rooted in the spiritual realm. There's some evil people walking around this world, but they're getting their power from the spiritual realm. So we have to fight with spiritual weapons. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty to the tearing down of strongholds. The best way we can fight is to know truth and to have authentic love. That will turn us into people like Stephen. He wasn't the only man who died this way. Millions have since died like this. Preach until the end. And then at the very end, this is God's love manifest. Lord, don't hold this sin against them. Somebody has been so wicked as to literally take your life and with your last breath, you say, God, don't hold this against them. It's similar to what Jesus prayed. Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. They don't know what they're doing. Now, don't misunderstand me. There is evil in the world that we should fight. We should stand up against. And sometimes kill it. It's good that somebody pressed until Hitler died. It's good that Stalin and Mussolini and Mao Zedong, that these people died. That was good for the world. But, look how powerful... I just don't want us to misunderstand that there's anything we can do with the strength of our own hands that's more powerful than what God can do with His supernatural presence and love. I'm nearing the end of this message. There's a few more things on my heart that I want us to to consider. Our resistance. I've danced around this, but I want to say it clearly. Um, Romans 13. I think we would all agree. I've been leading up to this point for three messages. Paul is not saying, submit no matter what to whatever the government says. We agree with that. Anybody who sincerely examines this passage would agree with that. So therefore, there are times you should resist the government. There are times that you shouldn't comply with the government. And I'm not going to itemize and say we should all resist all of... That's up to you. This is, the Holy Spirit needs to let us know individually what's pleasing to Him. But we must remember in recognizing that there are times to resist and that we're part of the resistance. We're part of the resistance holding back evil in the world. Whether it's in the form of a person or a government. That's part of our job, a system. There are evil systems that we should resist. But our resistance shouldn't be primarily about our own fleshly comfort. Or our own obstinate personal will. Our resistance should be about the advancement of the kingdom of God and the salvation of lost souls. That's why we should resist, not just so I can do whatever I want. So whatever we decide and whatever we do, we must remember that the Lord does not see as man sees. The Lord looks on the heart. There are things I've become convinced of through the Holy Spirit that I have to stand for, and if I don't, I'm going to have to answer for him, to Him. And a lot of people, even a lot of my brothers and sisters, don't see it the same way I do. And I don't say that with any arrogance. I've wrestled with these things, but there are things that I have to do to please the Lord, like preach these kind of messages. There aren't many preachers preaching how you should respond to mask mandates, it's part of our job. The gospel was never meant to be something abstract that we did in here while everybody else is doing life out there. It's meant to help us live life in the way that we should. The Lord looks on the heart, and I said all that to, to remind us, um, ultimately, and we shouldn't have arrogance when we, when we recognize this, but it doesn't matter what you think or what somebody else thinks. It matters if God is pleased with what I'm doing. Period. Period. We do need to be aware of being defiant just for the sake of being defiant. And there may be some of you that resonate with this, so I'm going to tell you a story that some of you have already heard. If you don't know me, you haven't heard it. When I was young, I was a lot more... Uh, I enjoyed arguing a lot more than I do now. I enjoyed conflict more than I do now. and. I'm saying this with, with shame, not with any pride. I was not that, I don't know, 18, 19. And I went to Chick-fil-A. And I ordered a chicken sandwich with an extra piece of lettuce. And they charged me a quarter. I was mad. And I said to the poor little homeschooler probably working there, I didn't know what Chick fil A was back then. I just knew they did something that made no sense. I said, You're charging me for lettuce? And they said something like, Yeah, well, it's in the system. We have to. And I said, Do you refund people who don't get the lettuce? And they said, Well, I don't know. I said, We'll find out. And they came back and said, No, we don't. And I said, Okay. And I didn't eat there at Chick fil A for seven or eight years just because of the 25-cent piece of lettuce. I never ate there again until my brother worked at Chick-fil-A and brought home a book from Trick Cathy, and I read the man's book, and I said, this is a really good company. And I got over my own silly pride and went back to Chick-fil-A, and I'm glad I did. It shouldn't have taken six or seven or eight years, however long it was. I'm not exaggerating. 25 cents, almost a decade of defiance. That's not what God wants. And some of us have this kind of wiring in our flesh where we need to make sure that's not what we're doing. (laughs) But when God lets us know that something's worth standing for, we need to be willing to stand. Period. The best way for us to submit to legitimate government authority is to obey God. If you obey God and live a life of love, you will have fulfilled the highest law. Love works no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. I was going to read some of these examples, but I just a couple examples of people who who do the opposite of trying to fulfill the law through love. They, They try to fulfill the law legalistically. There was a time when King Saul got tired of waiting on the prophet to come and offer the sacrifice, and he thought, well, the sacrifice is what it's about, I'll just do it myself. And the prophet got there right after he offered it and said, essentially, the sacrifice you just offered is cursed and you're going to lose your kingdom. Sometimes fulfilling the letter of the law, doing what you think God wants in technicality, is the opposite of what he wants. Because he wants your heart. Cain was the same way. The very beginning, Cain and Abel. God told them how to offer an acceptable, perfect sacrifice and Cain did it how he wanted to. And so we have to beware of this pride in our own hearts as There are times, I'll be clear, there are times we need to not do what the government tells us to. And there's a lot of things going on right now that I feel compelled not to do. But we need to make sure it's not because of our own stubborn pride. Don't be like me in the Chick-fil-A lettuce. Jesus told... The scribes and Pharisees, he said, "Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and you've neglected the weightier matters of the law: justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others." Those people, the scribes and Pharisees, were the ones Jesus was always mad at. I think that's an accurate way to say it. I mean, he told them there. He said, "Your father's the devil." He said, "You you, you go around the whole earth." Trying to make proselytes and you make them twofold more the children of hell. You are deceiving people with your legalistic lies. That's what Jesus told these people, essentially. I'm paraphrasing. They had gotten so detailed in the legalistic observance of what they thought God wanted that they, they counted the, the the plants and made sure they gave a tenth of their herbs, their spices, cumin and mint and dill. And they weren't worried about the cause of the widow or the orphan or justice in the world, they weren't worried about any of that. Jesus said you should have done both. So let me say this clearly. Legalism's for lazy Christians. All these people who are professing Christianity for the last 18 months who've just been saying, you have to do that because Romans 13, those are lazy Christians speaking. Legalism is for lazy Christians. It takes a lot more work to figure out what God actually wants you to do personally, individually, in a particular situation, but we're called to that and it's worth it. Let me sum up everything and finish this effort. God's the only person with supreme supreme authority in the whole universe. (laughs) The paramount thing is pleasing Him, period. As a Christian, we're called to please God above all else, and we're called and commanded to make sacrifices that are acceptable in His sight. And, let's remember, the sacrifices of God are a broken heart and a contrite spirit. You want to really please God? Humble yourself before Him. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and He'll exalt you in due time. And when you humble yourself and He exalts you, stand. When you're sure what He wants, stand. Solomon said, and I I want to conclude our Romans 13 investigation with this. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. We will wrestle the rest of our lives with different edicts, mandates, laws, and whether they apply to us and how we should submit or not submit or fight or stand. These are things that we should wrestle with as the people of God. But we must remember, fear God and keep His commandments. This is our duty. That's what the Lord's laid on my heart uh, these last few messages, and I hope it's been helpful. I want to encourage you to continue to wrestle with things like this. I've told you I, I sort of enjoy more extemporaneous evangelistic teaching. I like to get up and not even know what I'm going to preach about and just go with the Lord's help. But there's times we need to dig in and wrestle with foundational truths. And this has been one of those times. I don't want us to just leave it now, but let's go continue to wrestle with it because there's still going to be people saying, Romans 13, you have to do that. Maybe now we have some um, truthful gospel ammunition to understand why we don't necessarily have to do that. That's my prayer. For anyone listening to this, or anybody here, I don't know your hearts. You never know when you're preaching, the Holy Spirit gets a hold of somebody's heart. If God has done something inside of you and you need to seek Him, you've realized there's something missing, there's a brokenness, seek the Lord. He transformed my life. That's why I care about this, that's why I preach this way. On my face in a puddle of tears, I didn't come up the same person I went down. He changed me. And I've never been the same since then. God bless you all.